reporting from London's Parliament Square. At Downing Street, we will see a projection of the countdown clock an hour before Britain leaves the European Union. We will also see uh, the broadcast of a speech by Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. He is going to talk of a new era for the United Kingdom. He will try and uh, strike a tone that is positive and optimistic and speaks of unity. He knows that this remains a very divisive issue. Uh, many Brexit supporters are celebrating this occasion, but for many remain supporters who fought uh, over the last two or three years to try and stop Brexit happening or at least to try and enforce a softer Brexit than perhaps this government is going to pursue. Uh, they believe that this is a sad day that Britain is losing influence, potentially harming itself economically. Nearly 10,000 people in 23 countries have been infected with the coronavirus, which has been declared a global emergency by the World Health Organization. The virus, which originated in Wuhan, China, has killed more than 200 people. The first plane, bringing back French citizens from Wuhan, has arrived in France, touching down at a military base in the south of the country. FSN's Ross Cullen has more from Paris. The passengers are being taken to a holiday camp that's isolated, but within easy reach of a hospital should anyone fall ill. They were kept there and monitored for the next two weeks. The French medical authorities are not taking any chances and the health secretary has gone down to the region in the south to oversee the process herself. They want a rigorous testing method to be applied to check all the passengers thoroughly before they can be cleared to return to their families. U.S. President Donald Trump could be acquitted of impeachment charges later on Friday. It comes after a key Republican senator said he would not side with Democrats in voting to call witnesses, something that could extend the trial for several weeks. FSN's Nick Harper reports from Washington. Friday sees closing arguments, followed by a crucial make-or-break vote on allowing witnesses like former National Security Advisor John Bolton to testify. But Republican Senator Lamar Alexander's announcement that he will not vote with the Democrats makes it almost impossible for them to get the majority approval they need to bring witnesses to the stand. No witnesses would mean the Republicans will push for a swift vote on the two impeachment charges. With the Republicans holding the majority of the seats in the Senate, President Trump's acquittal is all but guaranteed, something that could happen later on Friday or very early Saturday morning. From Bureaus Worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday to you. And guess what? Lots and lots of news for us to jump into today. Hey to everybody who's watching on the live stream. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for going on to StacyOnTheRight.com because we are still locked out of Facebook. And it's not that we've forgotten about it. 
we're still working on it. Noah is now back on the case. He was on there before and then he lobbed it over to me and I went to them and they said I needed secure SSL capabilities. And now we know that we have that and we've been connecting with that. And so that's not an issue. And I really, really don't understand why we still can't get that going. But just as an update, we are still working on that. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, we haven't talked about impeachment for a little bit. Um, yeah, we haven't. And we also have not talked about the coronavirus for a little bit. So we're going to do some rundowns on those top news stories. Uh, and, you know, the good, the good of it is that we know that the president had a conversation with uh, the head of, of the Ukraine, the president of the Ukraine, uh, and, and the conversation was run-of-the-mill as it pertains to what presidents normally have conversations with foreign leaders about, um, that the aid was not withheld. It was actually delivered ahead of schedule. But there is actually a timeline, and this is via John Solomon. Um, his website's actually pretty fantastic. It's johnsolomonreports.com. I don't know him personally, but uh, he, he has uh, quite a few friends that it's like, you know how that six degrees of separation collapses down to like two. So that's where I am with him. Like I, I keep hearing his name from friends or people. And a friend shared this with me because she felt like it was super important for us to look at. And I think it's super important for you to look at, which is why I want you to have this on your uh, your your radar to share with friends. Maybe you print it out um, just in case you run into people, which invariably you will, who say things like, well, you know, there was actually wrongdoing on his part. I've seen a lot of really they look like they're nice people. Like if when you when you click through to their social media or their Twitter, they're actually nice people. They're they're um, they, they you know, they barbecue. They have kids. They have a family. These are not bots or trolls. They're people who genuinely have bought into the Democrats' lies about the president, and they just need correcting. Um, these are not people who, you know, are going to flamethrow you or, or, you know, sick Antifa on you. They're just, they're misinformed. So the title of his piece over here is uh, uh, The Ukraine Scandal Timeline Democrats and Their Media Allies Don't Want America to See. So he starts way back in 2014, 2014. Did you hear that, y'all? I'll say it louder for the people in the back. 2014. That's before President Trump was even on the scene. Am I right? Okay, so you've got Vice President Joe Biden named by President Obama to be the U.S. point man in the Ukrainian crisis after Euromaidan Revolution of Dignity leads to ouster of Viktor Yanukovych as the Ukrainian president. So you have this uh, revolution that they called Euromadon or, or Euromaiden is what I think it should probably, but it's spelled, you know, the European way. And so Viktor Yanukovych is ousted as the Ukrainian president. So then in this is later in February, same month, same year, 2002-2014, George Soros's Open Society Foundation publishes an anti-corruption strategy for Ukraine, identifying the Anti-Corruption Action Center, a nonprofit that Soros's foundation and the US State Department jointly fund as the leading edge of the foundation strategy for the Ukraine. Now, he has a link here to Scribd with an Open Society 2014 memo that's been loaded there. So this isn't just him making stuff up or, you know, he's not he's not using this as an outline for a novel he's going to be writing, although I bet you'd be pretty good. So then in March of 2014, new Ukrainian elections are set and Petro Poroshenko emerges as a top Western friendly candidate for the presidency of the Ukraine. 
Now, April 13th of 2014, Devin Archer, the business partner of Hunter Biden, son of the VP, and Christopher Hines, stepson of Secretary of State John Kerry. Does this circle, does it get any tighter? It's like everybody who's washing each other's hands and feet and back are all in the same room deciding what kind of scrub they're going to use next time. That's what this is like. So these guys, um, actually Devin Archer is the one who's named an independent director of the Ukrainian gas company Burisma Holdings. So he goes onto the board, Devin Archer does. Now why it's important that he went on is because when you find a plum deal in the private sector at this level and another opening comes up, instead of putting some Ukrainian you don't know on that board, why wouldn't you say, you know who could use a little bit of this Ukrainian smack? This, this cash is awesome. I'm making big dollars. You know, some of my friends could use a little bit of this. And who's he friends with? He's friends with Hunter Biden. He's a business partner with the guy. Hunter Biden has direct access to the presidency by way of his father, who's the vice president. Christopher Heinz has access to the State Department by way of his father or stepfather, not father-in-law, stepfather, who is John Kerry. So why not just loop your friends into that circle? So that's what they did. Two days later, 2014, April 15th, tax day, Burisma Holdings makes two payments to the Morgan Stanley account of Devin Archer and Hunter Biden's firm, Rosemont Seneca Bohai, in the amounts of $83,333.33 and $29,424.82, according to the financial records obtained by Ukrainian authorities and the FBI. He has more documentation here, just in case anyone thinks he's making this stuff up for fun. I guarantee he's not. He doesn't have the time. So... Then uh, same day, Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's partner in Rosemont Seneca Bohai and Burisma Holdings, checks into the White House, yes, that White House, for a meeting with Vice President Joe Biden, and this is according to the Secret Service's official waves entry logs for the Obama White House. April 22, 2014, Vice President Joe Biden meets with Ukrainian Prime Minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk, and urges Ukraine to ramp up energy production to free itself from its Russian natural gas energy dependence. Biden boasts that an American team is currently in the region working with Ukraine and its neighbors to increase Ukraine's short-term energy supply, and Yatsenyuk welcomes help from the American investors in modernizing natural gas supply lines in the Ukraine. Now, while he's doing this, Oh, uh, the website is johnsolomonreports.com, by the way. And you can find the links to everything I'm sharing with you in the show notes. The podcast will be up just a few minutes after the show is over here in, in another hour or so. Because we're going to go as long as we need to to cover this topic. And, it, you know, if you dip in and out, God bless you. I understand people have stuff to do. But this is important enough for us to devote time to it. And then, of course, we'll circle back around to impeachment. Um, it really, I kind of did cover impeachment so far. They don't have the votes. Um, right now they're they're meeting again. They've got, they're they're in the the Senate, and uh, there's going to be, um, you know, no opportunity for the Democrats to force the Republicans to allow any additional witnesses or testimony beyond what's already been had. Uh, so you know this thing might be over within the next 24 hours. We'll have to watch our news sets for that, our phones, what have you. So I just told you April 22nd, you've got. Joe Biden meeting with Ukraine Prime Minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk, and they're talking about green energy. Meanwhile, in the States, Joe Biden and his party, the Democrats, are railing against our natural gas energy production. 
talking about shutting down natural gas energy production. They have college students whose brains are not fully developed until they're 25, by the way, believing that if they don't stop using natural gas to heat their dorm rooms, the entire planet is just going to burst into instant floods, ice storms, and blazing hot volcanic ash. That's what they've got these kids thinking. But overseas, they're making some money. They're making deals and they want to make money on natural gas because it is a moneymaker and it is given to us by God to use to do whatever we need to do with it, uh, as are all of our fossil fuels. And Democrats love using fossil fuels in foreign countries. But in America, we need to ramp back and we need to suffer a little bit. It's just things are just too good. So April 28th of 2014, Biden's serious fraud office freezes. I'm sorry, Britain's April 28th of 2014. Great Britain, the UK, they have something called the Serious Fraud Office. That office froze $23 million in assets, which were kept in London by Burisma Holdings and its founder, Mikola Zlovskevsky, on grounds that it was fraudulently transferred from their Ukraine. So, you know, they watch all of these transactions. And when they see something suspicious, they have different offices in the government. It's the United States. It's Turkey. It's Russia. It's Every major country has these offices that monitor financial transactions and anything that they're already looking for. So suspicious activity in any sector, when that happens, they can freeze those funds to make sure, okay, this, this is on the up and up, release the funds. It's all a part of you even using bank transfers is that in the fine print, you give them the right to investigate the validity of the transfer that you're... So, in other words, are you breaking the law? They can check. And if they feel like you are and they need some more time to get that check complete, they can freeze the funds, especially these huge transactions, $23 million. So the serious fraud office freezes the $23 million, and Zlaskevsky and Burisma deny any wrongdoing. Again, more links and documentation here. So May 13th of 2014, Hunter Biden announces as a board member for the Ukraine's largest natural gas company, Burisma Holdings, which is run by Mikola Zoskevsky, a former cabinet official for ousted President Viktor Yukbanovich. He's going on that board. Hunter Biden on in so May 13th. So how look, if you scroll back up, how long was that from when Devin Archer went on to that board? April, May was basically a month. April 15th, Devin Archer goes on the board. May 13th, Hunter Biden goes on the board. So then May 13th, again, Christopher Heinz, business partner to Devin Archer and Hunter Biden and stepson to John Kerry, sends an email to Secretary of State's top aides distancing himself from Archer. Biden appointments to Burisma Holding Board, according to a FOIA released to Citizens United. May 15th, just a couple days later, y'all, Burisma Holdings makes two payments totaling $83,333.33. So two equal payments of that amount, which totaled $166,666.66 to the Morgan Stanley account of Hunter Biden and Devin Archer's firm, Rosemont Seneca Bohai. And then similar payments are made Every month for more than a year. Every month more than a year. So if you're looking at this and you're thinking, wow, that's a very suspicious chain of events. 
It just goes on and on and on. David Leiter, who's a former chief of staff to John Kerry, is hired as a lobbyist for Burisma. The firm has paid 90 grand in 2014 to lobby Congress and the State Department. Does that sound like a Logan Act violation or some of these other things they're accusing President Trump of for making a phone call, a regular phone call, which 30 other individuals were on? And this is another thing that people really discount. And you can use this when you're arguing these points kindly, gently. And I say that I'm I'm the worst offender. I get so hot under the collar when I have to talk to someone who is really ignorant about these subjects because it seems like they really are so lazy about it. They won't look anything up. They just listen to a couple of sound bites from CNN or MSNBC and then they come in guns blazing trying to tell me something. And it's not that I think I'm so great, but I have taken the time to at least look up a few things and read a few things besides what the mainstream media has out there. So I understand it if you're in the position that I'm in where you just get annoyed. You just get tired of people who don't take any time to research anything. But it's like a calling for us. If you've learned all this information, you've heard it, you've listened to the podcast or you've looked at the stories yourself, then it's kind of incumbent upon you and me to put up with it's almost nincompoopery having to explain this stuff to people who just refuse to take any time and look anything up for themselves. So in the scheme of this, you've got um, you've got these these payments going on. You've got Burisma Holdings financial records released by the Ukraine prosecutor general's office, which is the validation for this. Rosemont Seneca's records are seized by the FBI. There's a link to that. Those have been uploaded to Scribd. And then I told you this guy's hired on as a lobbyist and the firm has paid money. And uh, there's validation on open secrets about that. So then May 25th of 2014, just just like a couple weeks, one week later, Poroshenko wins the Ukraine presidential election. And July 5th of 2014, Burisma Holdings pays $250,000 of a retainer to Boyce Schiller Law Firm, where the board member, Hunter Biden, also works. So Hunter is on the board of Burisma. He hasn't even been on there 90 days before he's got his law firm where he works retained with a $250,000 payment. So he's getting money hand over fist every which way but loose. It's coming in from the left. It's coming in from the right. Barisma's writing checks, and he's just taking them and cashing them, taking them, cashing them. Every which way he can distribute those funds, he's just getting rich. He's enriching himself. Do you think if his name was, I don't know, Hunter Washington, no relation to George Washington, just plain old Hunter Washington from St. Louis, Missouri, do you think he would have had that kind of yeah, this is the law firm. We need to use my law firm. Yeah, um, I want to come on the board and I, I'm, I need big payments. I need big, big payments. You know, I, 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 need, I need to make hundreds of thousands of dollars to work for you. I have no experience in the energy sector, but come on. Do you think that would happen? Here's a hint. It wouldn't. No, there's no way. No way, no how some regular Joe is getting that job. But if your father is the vice president of the United States and the guy who did the intro, his father is... Uh, working or his stepfather's working in the state department. Now you're talking. So in August of 2014, Ukraine prosecutor general, Victor Shokin's office opens criminal investigations into Burisma holdings and Mikola Shosklevsky for allegedly corrupt award of gas exploration permits and eventual looting of the company. And this is according to the Ukraine prosecutor general's case file. So then in September of 2014, Burisma Holdings makes a $33,039.70 payment to Boyce Schiller Law Firm. And 
This is according to the accounting ledger obtained by the Ukraine Prosecutor General's Office. And then December 16th of 2014, former Deputy National Security Advisor Tony Blinken, a longtime Joe Biden advisor, confirmed by the Senate as Deputy Secretary of State under John Kerry. So then in January of 2015, January 18th, Prosecutor General's Office in the Ukraine declares Burisma Holdings founder Mikola Slavskevsky, a fugitive who is wanted in the Ukraine. So could we just put a pin in this for a second and, and just acknowledge that if we had opportunities like this, we would just be like, we'd be stunned. We'd be stunned that anyone want to pay us 83 grand a month, right? I mean, you, you, might, you might say, um, I'll sit on your board and perhaps you'll pay me 80 grand a year, you know, if it's like a full-time thing where you're there, you know, multiple times during the week, you know, six, seven, eight hour days, et cetera. Um, if it's going to take you away from your regular duties, you might say, you know, 80 grand a year or, you know, for a big energy company, you might say 150 grand a year, but $83,333.33 a month. I mean, I think a lot of us would be, we, we would, it, wouldn't that be suspect to you? You would, you would actually, I know for me, I'd say, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure this is on the up and up. I think that's what I would say. <laughs> I would say, sounds like some kind of scam. Don't contact me again. <laughs> right? But Hunter Biden was like, you know, let's get these checks coming. Get these checks moving. Get them deposited. Let's make these, let's make this happen. Okay? He didn't blink. Okay? The other thing that I think a lot of us would it, just just talking just realistically, first of all, the sums of money are so outrageous, we would suspect that it wasn't okay. And then to find out that it would be in exchange for connections, you know, it just the, the story doesn't make any sense when you try to apply it to one of us regular people because we just aren't connected to anybody that would make it worthwhile. So it, it, it cannot work for anybody but someone whose last name is Carrie or Biden or Archer, somebody like that, someone in the inner circle of these halls of power. So, okay, now we're in 20, 2015. Uh, Mikola is this guy who, he ran the company, he looted it, he's now a fugitive, he's wanted in the Ukraine. And the, by the end of January, in 20, 20, by the end of January, the 29th, in 2015, the British Serious Fraud Office has announced it's closing down the investigation into Burisma and Slaskevsky because they lack the evidence required to continue the investigation or to prosecute. So then now it's March. Three months later, Vice President Biden has a phone call with this new president, President Poroshenko. March 30th, and you can read out the whole call, by the way, just in case you're wondering, the readout is posted at ua.usembassy.gov. March 30th, 2015, George Soros announces plans to invest $1 billion in the Ukrainian energy and technology sectors. And then, of course, here we are again on tax day, April 15th of 2015. Vice President Joe Biden speaks in the Ukraine, praising the decision to appoint a new head of the NABU, the new Ukrainian law enforcement investigative arm set up by the United States. Now, remember, in 2015, when you say set up by the United States, you're talking about the Obama administration, set up by the sitting president and his administration, P. 
people within his administration working closely with the Ukraine to set this up with this president. Is there any doubt in your mind that Obama knew about this? Is there any doubt in your mind that he was tangentially aware that the Bidens were knee deep in this thing because Hunter was over there with his friends, John Kerry's stepson and the other dude, Devin Archer, and they're all up in this thing making money the same way that the Clintons did when they were in office and they made those sweetheart deals that eventually led to Chelsea, who has a fantastic education. She has an elite level education. She went to work for NBC News and made $650,000 a year, and I think she she filed three stories. Three. 650 grand. She's sitting on a board someplace for $9 million a year as well. It's a whole nother story. Again, is it is it one thing for it to be because they have access to the halls of power and this is just the way the game is played and this is just, you know, it just is what it is? And if that's the truth, then why is it such a big deal that, um, you know, the Trumps had a foundation and that their kids were on the board of that foundation and they ran it and a lot of money was flowing through that. But you notice the Democrats didn't stop until they used the attorney general of New York to get the Trumps to disband their foundation, but they haven't done anything about Hillary Clinton's. They let the Clintons run all kinds of cash through there. And even they lied and said they were going to give that money to Haitians who'd been hurt in the earthquake. Haitians never got any of that money. A bunch of it went to the multimillion dollar wedding for Chelsea and whatever else they wanted. Remember, they owned seven or eight homes, too. That's where the Obamas got this idea from. You got to own eight to ten homes. You're not independently wealthy. You're wealthy because you were once the president of the United States. And so you get a book deal and you sign up on the board of Netflix and you do a whole bunch of documentaries. You know, you plan out, I'm going to do these documentaries. And before you know it, now you're a multimillionaire and you got five, six, seven houses. Remember we did a show on that where I talked about how many houses the Obamas have after they bought that place out. Waterfront property in the age of global warming, global cooling, catastrophic weather, 12 years left on earth. The Obamas bought oceanfront property in Martha's Vineyard for it was like an outrageous sum, 18 million or something like that. So. Back to this, you've got Hunter Biden emails. To his father's longtime trusted aide, Deputy Secretary of State Tony Blinken, he emails him the following quote, have a few minutes next week to grab a cup of coffee. I know you are impossibly busy, but would you like to get your advice on, I would like to get your advice on a couple of things. Best, Hunter, close quote. Blinken responds the same day with an absolutely, look forward to seeing you. The records indicate the two men were scheduled to meet the afternoon of May 27th, so five days later. So June 11th of 2015, Burisma Holdings makes a $20,000 donation to the Delaware Community Foundation in the name of Bo Biden. Then, the president, the vice president's oldest son, who had already passed away of cancer. So then June 12th, the next day, Vice President Biden calls President Poroshenko. He do the just real quick one more time. This is March 22nd. Hunter sets up a meeting with the Deputy Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, and then they meet five days later. The next month in June, Burisma makes a donation of 20000 to the foundation in Delaware that does all of this really great work with poverty and everything in the name of Bo Biden, the vice president's son. 
the very next day after the donation is made, the vice president of the United States calls President Poroshenko in the Ukraine. July 15th, Vice President Biden and Commerce Secretary Pritzker attend the first ever U.S.-Ukraine Chamber of Business meeting. That's two days after the phone call. And remember, Pritzker, if that name sounds familiar to you, they're the ones who they currently have one of their family running Chicago, running Illinois, he's the governor, and they're hardcore leftists and they're closely, closely connected to George Soros. So then July 22nd, Hunter Biden meets with Deputy Secretary Tony Blinken for lunch at State Department. The 24th of July, just 12 days, or 12 days, two days later, two days later, not Democrat math, two days later, um, you have Vice President Biden calling President Poroshenko, raising concerns about anti-corruption efforts that are going around in the Ukraine. You know, that's like, uh, what, you know, not a thing he wants to see going on because he doesn't want people looking into corruption because they're knee deep in corruption. They're passing money around between themselves in order to do things. And they're using the gov- U.S. government and our assets and all of the things that we can do. That's the, the, the benefit of you. You slide money our way. You donate to causes we like you. You hire my son to go on a board and I'll make sure the U.S. government does things that help you and your administration. But they're accusing President Trump of trying to influence the election. So then August 16th of 2015, Devin Archer throws a $10,000 a plate fundraiser in New York for the Seed Global Health Charity founded by Secretary of State Kerry's daughter, Dr. Vanessa Kerry. That's according to the official invite. Then August 28th of 2015, Vice President Biden calls President Poroshenko. This is another readout of the president's call. Now, again, the way we know that the real deal business is not going on on these calls is because every time a sitting U.S. president, vice president, secretary of state, anyone who's a cabinet level member, anyone who's anyone, picks up the phone to make a scheduled call. None of these calls are like what you and I do where I pick up the phone and I call one of my friends and I say, hey, let's go to the you know, the, the soup place for lunch or, hey, um, there's this meeting and I'm going to go to it. Do you want to come? Or are you going to be at so-and-so's house? You know, I just got an invitation. I saw your names on there. Are you going? These are not spur of the moment impromptu calls. When world leaders talk, 30 people or so are on the line as well. They may not be in the room with the president, but he knows they're on. The vice president knows these people are on the call because it's not like he picks the phone up and dials it out. Or if he calls out to the secretary in the outer office and says, hey, get me VP Poroshenko or President Poroshenko. That's not how it works. They have to have a ton of people on the call. And there's often a script or a list of questions that they want covered. The reason is because humans, when they're talking, just spend we just, we just make mistakes. When, when we're on, off the cuff, we just make mistakes. And mistakes on the phone to a world leader can result in catastrophic results. So the world leader has a bunch of his people on the line to verify, and they are basically witnesses to the call. And even in the age of recording devices and all of that, we have people sitting on live listening. That's why they provide readouts, because 
it's really not that much secret going on on the call. If anything classified occurs, that part's redacted, but the rest is provided as a readout because there's really not, everybody knows he's calling, okay? It's on the president's schedule when he has a call like this with another world leader. If you sign up for the White House press thing that, that at whitehouse.gov, you get notification of the, the president's schedule the day before. It comes out every night by 10 p.m., and you can see who he's calling the next day. Right after the call, there's a press briefing, sometimes beforehand. This is what he plans on talking about. They have a list of all the topics they're going to cover. Then afterwards, the readout goes live on some website where you can access it. So the idea, now President Trump thought, you know what I'm going to do? I need help with my election. I can't win it on my own. First of all, that, that whole premise is so flawed and so ridiculous. We know if there's one thing President Trump doesn't do, it's sit around fretting about what he can't do. He does not think like that. If you listen to him for five minutes, you know he never sits around and thinks, I can't do that. He thinks, I'm going to do that, and this is how it's going to get done. That's the way he thinks. So it's, it's, that's not hero worship. That's just facts. Look at the way he talks. Read his Twitter feed. Understand him. Listen to him at these rallies. He doesn't think like that. The other thing is, at no point would President Trump have thought, you know what? I'm going to get on the phone and get this guy to help me interfere with the American election. He's already been investigated for almost four years for trying to use Russia to influence an American election. He was innocent of that, and he's innocent of this. Democrats really think all of us are just weapons-grade stupid and that our memories only go back about 10 minutes. So, you've got... The phone call. And then September 25th of 2015, you have U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt, giving a speech imploring Ukrainian prosecutors to do more to bring you the Burisma Slavskevsky, that guy, remember we were just talking about him, to bring him to justice. September 29th, Vice President meets with Poroshenko in the Ukraine. Now they have a face-to-face meeting. November 5th, VP Biden calls President Poroshenko. November 18th, Burisma Holdings makes a $60,000 payment to American legal lobbying and communications firm Blue Star Strategies for consulting work, according to the company's official ledger. Now, I guess it wouldn't be too much of a stretch for me to say that Blue Star Strategies is not exactly some Republican or RNC-affiliated organization. Blue Star, Blue color for the Democrats, sounds to me like it's some kind of Democratic consulting arm. Hmm. December 7th, 2015, Vice President Biden meets with Poroshenko and demands the president make hard decisions to eliminate the cancer of corruption, quote, in his country. December 8th, the New York Times publishes an article stating that Prosecutor General Shokin's office is investigating Burisma Holdings and its founder, Solskevsky, and that Hunter Biden's participation on Burisma board is undercutting Joe Biden's anti-corruption message in the Ukraine. They place a quote from Vice President Biden's office within the story. January 21st through 24th of 2016. Obama's White House invites leaders of Ukraine's general prosecutor office to Washington for a hastily arranged set of meetings to discuss anti-corruption cases, including Burisma, and Party of Regions, which is a case that involves Paul Manafort. February 4th, 
Ukraine General Prosecutor's Office, under the direction of Viktor Shokin, announces the seizure of assets from Burisma Holdings founder Mikola Sovskevsky under a continuing criminal investigation. The seizure occurred February 2nd of 2016. Same day, Burisma board member Hunter Biden sends a Twitter notification to Deputy Secretary of State Tony Blinken, a longtime advisor to Joe Biden, indicating that he's following Blinken on Twitter. And then you have February 11th, February 18th, and February 19th of 2016, Vice President Joe Biden holding a series of phone calls with President Poroshenko to check on the status of pending items from their December 2015 meeting. February 24th through March 1st, an American representative from Burisma Holdings, Karen Tramontano of Blue Star Strategies. Did you hear that? Karen Tramontano works for Blue Star Strategies. She's also a representative for the company in the Ukraine called Burisma Holdings. She seeks a meeting with the Undersecretary of State Catherine A. Novelli to discuss ending the corruption allegations against the Ukrainian gas firm. So now, Burisma Holdings has retained the services of Blue Star Strategies, which is affiliated with Hunter Biden's father, Vice President Joe Biden. They are no longer working to do any lobbying on behalf. They're looking to end the corruption allegations against the Ukrainian gas firm. Do you see that change in circumstance right there? So by now, Hunter Biden's been on that board for two years, making $83,333.33 a month. Now he has a vested interest in making sure that whatever uh, the other guy, Slavskevsky, whatever he did, he doesn't want to see Burisma go under or for there to be any asset seizures or anything. He just wants it all to go away because it's a plum position. And you got to think about it. For somebody like him, he's a drug user. He's a philanderer. He's at this point sleeping with his dead brother's wife. Um, he's also sleeping with some chick in another state and making a baby with her. This guy is literally, he's like, things can't get much better for me. 83 grand a month from this, plus I can direct them to hire firms that I want, you know, so I, my, he's, he's like the money man. He's just doling out Burisma cash. He doesn't want it to end. So Hunter Biden's name was specifically invoked by the Burisma representative as a reason the State Department should help. Quote, per our conversation, Karen Tramontano of Blue Star Strategies requested a meeting to discuss with U.S. Novelli, USG remarks alleging Burisma of corruption, end quote. Oh, they're not even hiding it. March 2nd, Devin Archer. He's still on the board of Burisma Holdings along with Hunter Biden. Secures a meeting with Secretary of State John Kerry. This is according to State Department memos. And then March 15th of 2016, you have Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland demanding that the Ukraine appoint and confirm a new clean prosecutor general who is committed to rebuilding the integrity of the PGO, prosecutor general's office, and investigate, indict, and successfully prosecute corruption and asset recovery cases, including locking up dirty personnel in the PGO itself, end quote. March 22, 2016, 
Vice President Joe Biden engages in a phone call from Washington, D.C. with Ukrainian President Poroshenko about U.S. loan guarantees. It is believed that in this call, Biden renews his demands that the president fire Prosecutor General Shokin, who is overseeing the Burisma prosecution, or risk losing the next $1 billion in U.S. loan guarantees. This happened on March 22nd of 2016. The U.S. election is happening in November of that year, and Joe Biden is not working on electing Hillary. He's working on protecting his son, Hunter Biden, the plum board position that he and John Kerry's stepson have, and Devin Archer as well, and ending this deep dive into the prosecution, uh, the prosecution of corruption by Burisma. But then March 29th, Ukraine parliament fires Prosecutor General Shokin at the urging of President Poroshenko. Do you hear me, people? March 22nd, Vice President Joe Biden calls from Washington, D.C., puts the $1 billion in U.S. loan guarantees on the table as a carrot or stick. You can have the carrot or I'll beat you over the head with it by keeping it from you as a stick. And seven days later, Ukraine's parliament fires General Shokin. No more investigation into corruption for you, sir. Same day, John Beretta, an American lawyer hired by Burisma Holdings, seeks to contact the acting prosecutor general, Severuk, seeking a meeting about the Burisma investigation. Just hours after his boss, Prosecutor General Shokin, was fired under pressure from BP Joe Biden, according to email Beretta's legal team sent to the Ukraine embassy in Washington. That's per the Hill. So March 30th, Burisma Holdings' U.S. legal team seeks the help of Ukrainian embassy official Andrei Teljenko in Washington seeking urgent meetings with a new acting prosecutor general of the Ukraine. And then March 31st, one day later, Vice President Joe Biden arrives in the Ukraine and announces $1 billion in loan guarantees, ending the threat to withhold aid and force the Ukraine into debt default, and delivers $239 million more in promised aid. So the thing that they're trying to impeach President Trump for is the very thing that Joe Biden did in 2016. They're trying to impeach the president for corruption, obstruction of Congress, but they're insinuating that he was trying to use this to influence the U.S. election, the, the investigation to the Bidens. Well, this is what the investigation would have uncovered, that the Bidens used U.S. loan guarantees and U.S. taxpayer dollars to stop an investigation into wrongdoing by Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, and whatever John Kerry's stepson's name is. Quid pro quo. Oh, and I just glanced over, Big Ron Deasy said that in the, in the chat room as well. Big quid pro quo, the, the definition of it right there. And this isn't something that, John Solomon made up. It's not something that I'm making up out of whole cloth while I'm reading it to you. All of the links and documentation are right here, proving that the Bidens are as guilty as sin when it comes to using U.S. taxpayer dollars, loan guarantees, and the power and influence of the office of the vice president of the United States to make other countries do stuff they want them to do to protect Hunter Biden. So George Kent is a senior U.S. official at the American Embassy in the Ukraine, he writes a letter asking Ukrainian General Prosecutor's Office to stand down their investigation into the Soros-funded group, the Anti-Corruption Action Center, 
And then April 16th, Burisma Holdings U.S. team, their U.S. legal team of John Beretta, Sally Painter, Karen Tramontanto, meets with Ukraine's acting prosecutor general, Severuk, to seek resolution of the Burisma criminal investigation. American lawyers apologize for false information spread by U.S. government to force the firing of Shokin, and they offer the prosecutor general's office a olive branch of arranging a meeting in Washington to clear the air. So Vice President Biden on April 14th, the day before tax day, they're always busy right around that time, calls President Poroshenko and stressed the urgency of putting in place a new prosecutor general who would bolster the agency's anti-corruption efforts. And DNC contractor Alexandra Chalupa writes an email to bosses at party headquarters derailing her work to get dirt on Trump and Manafort from the Ukraine. And that's May 4th of 2016. So I can remember back in May of 2016, we were in the throes of trying to figure out who exactly was going to be the nominee for the Republicans. And Trump was looking strong, but a lot of us had, you know, we all had our own people that we liked. And we were also looking at Hillary and thinking, how much worse could she get? And would she make us go to war with Russia if she was the president? And here, all this is going on in the background. We didn't know anything about it. How could we? We would have read a few of these stories like WikiLeaks.org DNC emails. That's where they get the information about May 14th, Alexandra Chalupa, Chalupa's uh, email. So then you have on May, May 12th, Yuri Lutsenko is named the new prosecutor general of the Ukraine, takes over investigations that include Burisma Holdings. VP Joe Biden later praises Lutsenko as a solid guy, quote, quote, during the 2018 speech at the Atlantic Council. And then senior George Soros advisor provides private briefing to Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland about Russian bond markets, according to the official State Department memo of the briefing in, on May 25th. May 27th, Vice President Biden holds a phone call with President Poroshenko. June 1st, George Soros seeks and receives a telephonic meeting with Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland to discuss the Ukraine. And on and on it goes. So suffice it to say, because I'm stopping here at, um, yeah, so June 1st is when George Soros gets this meeting with Assistant Secretary of State Newland. And I'm scrolling down. Actually, I don't have that much further to go. Yeah, so I'm going to finish this off. I, I kind of think it's that important. It's important for the record. It's important for us. And because I'm saying that because it's, it's 51 after. So we would normally be wrapping up the show here at this point. But this is a live stream and I can do whatever I want. So I will. So you've got George Soros. Um getting this yeah so May 25th George Soros gets this uh, he provides a private briefing to Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland, and this is about the Russian bond market Vice President Joe Biden calls the President of the Ukraine on May 27th June 1st George Soros gets a telephonic meeting uh, August 14th or August 4th of 2016, the Ukraine's ambassador to Washington, Valerie Chaley, takes extraordinary step of writing an op-ed in The Hill intervening in the U.S. presidential election, slamming Trump's policies and commenting uh, about his comments on Russia. 
so this is this is a, a situation where these people are so deeply embedded in each other's garbage. They don't even think to themselves that later, three years later, John Solomon will be able to literally create a timeline of all of the events of what they've done. They don't care. They're above investigation. They're above the law. They're above anything that you or I as little pittance taxpayers would ever have to say about what they've been doing. They're at a level that precludes them from being held accountable by little peons like us. That should burn you up. That should literally set you on fire just a little bit because these people don't think they're beholden to us. So... August 12th, phone call between VP Biden and President Poroshenko. They're best friends by now. September 20th, Vice President Biden meets President Poroshenko on the sidelines of a U.N. meeting, confirms that the $1 billion in loan guarantees has actually been made. November 8th, Donald Trump wins election, becomes the 45th president of these United States, ending eight years of Democratic control of the White House. And December 15th, Vice President Biden holds a phone call with Ukraine president and prime minister praising the work of NABU. So then January 11th of 2017, this is just a few weeks before the president's going to be inaugurated. The, the, the Obamas are in the midst of packing out the White House. Joe Biden is packing out the VP House. Politico reports possible effort by DNC contractor Alexandra Chalupa to seek Russian dirt on Trump and Manafort from Ukraine embassy in Washington during the 2016 election. January 17th and 18th, Biden makes his final appearance in the Ukraine with President Poroshenko. February 1st, John Beretta, the American lawyer for Burisma Holdings, gives an interview in Kiev confirming there were criminal cases open in 2016 in Ukraine, but all have been settled, the last with a penalty for simple tax violations. And then January 25th, 2018, former Vice President Biden boasts at the Council of Foreign Relations events in Washington that he strong-armed Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko into firing Prosecutor General Shokin, using loan guarantees as leverage. He calls Shokin's replacement Yuri Lutskenko, Solid. May 9th, the House Rules Committee Chairman Pete Sessions writes a letter to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo demanding the removal of U.S. Ambassador to Kiev, Marie Yovanovitch, who was an embedded plant from the Obama administration, there to do whatever she wanted that was the opposite of President Trump, whatever he was trying to do, which is why she had to be let go. It wasn't personal. She was operating on behalf of the previous administration. She hated President Trump, and that's why he told her, get to step in, sweetheart. It's my purview to hire and fire ambassadors. You work for me. If you don't work for me, then don't work for me. Get out. And that's supposed to be some kind of like high crime and misdemeanor. It's not. So then December 12th, of 2018, Ukrainian court rules that the efforts by Ukrainian parliamentary member Sergei Lashenko and NABU chief Artem Sitnik to publicize the Manafort Black Ledger documents in 2016 were an improper foreign intervention in the American presidential election. So it actually wasn't the Russians interfering in our election. It was the Ukraine on behalf of the Bidens and the Obamas through Burisma and their strong arming efforts and Poroshenko. Woo, that's like a bomb dropping someplace. February 10th, 2019, NABU revives dormant Burisma case, drafting a notice of suspicion against founder Mikola Shlovskevsky, asking the special anti-corruption prosecutor of Ukraine to bring him in for questioning. 
March 28, 2019, Ukraine General Prosecutor's Office, under the authority of Deputy Prosecutor General Kulyik, announces it has opened a new money laundering investigation against Burisma's founder, Shlavskevsky. May 2, 2019, Ukraine Embassy in Washington issues a statement confirming that in spring of 2016, the DNC contractor, Alexandra Chalupa, sought the embassy's help in seeking dirt on Donald Trump and Paul Manafort and asking for Ukraine's president to meet with an investigative reporter who was working on the issue. And finally, May 16th of 2019, Artem Sitnik, head of Ukraine's National Anti-Corruption Bureau, NABU, confirms investigations remain open against Burisma and its founder, Shlavskevsky. Now, this timeline shows that someone needs to be investigated. Someone attempted to influence the U.S. election. Someone has utilized undue influence by their access to the vice president of the United States on a foreign power and they used American taxpayer dollars and loan guarantees to do it and that someone's name is not your president, real Donald J. Trump. That's his Twitter handle in case you're wondering. (laughs) It's not him. It's not him. It's the Bidens. So the impeachment effort is... Zero to do with anything the president did wrong and everything to do with stopping the Bidens from being prosecuted because he is the heir apparent. Remember, it's anybody but Sanders right now for the Democrats, in case you're wondering. If you if you are thinking what is happening with the Democrats right now, they would nominate a chair, a coffee cup. They'd nominate a puppy if they could. Anybody but Sanders. Now, they don't have the stones to go up against Sanders the traditional way by simply saying, dude, you know what I'm going to do? Um, I'm going to go ahead and um, I'm going to tell you you can't run for the presidency because you're not a Democrat. See, that's all they have to do. But they don't want to do that because they're, they're a little bit crazy, a little bit rock and roll with his socialism. Like it's just, it's just the right kind of stinky for them. It's, it's okay with them. So they'll go ahead and they'll do everything they can to rig the election so that Sanders can't win and so their nominee is Biden. And then if Biden loses, they'll say that President Trump rigged the election against him and he stole it and, you know, some moon Martians did it. Whoever they can get to say did it. So my issue with the whole thing is obviously we have a complete and utter waste of our constitutional authority that we've given to Congress by the Constitution uh, to make a political statement by impeaching a president. And I think one of the things that I've really been upset with when I think about this is that there's just, there's no rule of law obvious here. If The Bidens can go do all this and not get prosecuted. It's just like what we saw the Clintons get away with, with her and her emails and the enriching of themselves that they used, selling themselves for speech writing and all that stuff to prop up the, the Clinton Foundation, all of it. If they get away with it and then the Bidens get away with it, 
it means that all you have to do is get elected and you are immune to prosecution unless you're a Republican. And that's why we have to see some justice here. So I'll just give you um, that we need to be praying, praying that justice would prevail, that the Lord would intervene here, that we would have, we need the scales to fall off people's eyes. And we need people to understand what is really, really the problem. So ending on a happy note, I don't know if you guys saw, but last night there was a, uh, a big thing uh, that got Eric Ciarmella's name trending on Twitter. People were like, Eric Ciarmella, pass it on. Because Democrats were suggesting that Rand Paul should be arrested for simply saying Eric Ciarmella's name, who, by the way, is a Democratic operative. He's closely connected with, to all these big families that I've been talking about here. So uh, the Washington Examiner reported that a year after Ukraine official and alleged whistleblower Eric Saramella left President Trump's White House, a picture of him shaking Barack Obama's hand was published on a close friend's wedding website. The Oval Office photograph obtained by the Washington Examiner is circulating among Trump allies who consider it evidence that the alleged whistleblower is biased against Trump and had partisan motivations when he filed an August 12th complaint that sparked impeachment proceedings, which, by the way, he wasn't even on uh, the call. He wasn't, he wasn't on the call, so he didn't hear anything. <laughs> so I don't know how he can be a whistleblower, but anyway. Um, so in the photograph, a smiling Saramella, who is then, at that point, he was the Ukraine director on the National Security Council at the White House, is shown shaking Obama's hand. They're standing in front of a portrait of Abraham Lincoln by George Henry Story. Jake Tapper and other Democrats with bylines are appalled at the examiner's naming names. The real story here is that President Obama actually coordinated three years of harassment of President Trump, his successor, by seditious spies and people who literally wanted to overturn the results of an election. And these chicken-dropping media people won't even look into it. They won't even make it a big deal it is a huge, big deal, but they won't, they won't even allow that. So, you know, ending on a high note, if you go on to uh, Twitter, you'll see a bunch of really funny tweets and memes about Eric Saramella uh, being the whistleblower, which I'm pretty sure that's who he is. And um, that's it. It's Friday, and you need to be enjoying yourself and sliding on into the weekend with everything you have within you, just enjoying it and Looking forward to whatever it is that you're planning on doing. We're going to have a good time this weekend. Um, I, I'm speaking at the March for Life in Jefferson City tomorrow. Um, the governor's going to speak there. Bridget Van Means is going to speak there. It's going to be a really fun, ripping good time. And um, so I hope that you will check the live stream. If you feel like being on social media over the weekend, you know, I never require that because I think you should unplug and have some some fun. So, uh that's the show for today. Thank you so much for being with us and hanging out with us, especially my buddies in the chat and over on YouTube and the podcast listeners. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. God bless. Until next week, Righteously American. Stacey on the right.